to invite you to grab your Bible. Uh, if you don't have one, one in the pew back in front of you and turn to the book of John. We're going to be in the Gospel of John this morning. Uh, there are four Gospels, if you're unfamiliar, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John in the Bible, and they tell the story of Jesus's life. If you're not sure how to find the Gospel of John, the beginning of most Bibles, there's a table of contents. There's no shame in using it. All right, so you can use that. We're going to be in John, John chapter one, the very beginning of it. And we just completed a series called Lies About Love this past week, which I'm thankful for. It was fantastic. Thank you all for joining us during that series. We're starting a new one. Uh, we're leading up to Christmas in a season that's called Advent. And so for the four weeks in a row leading to Christmas, uh, we'll be preaching through John chapter one, learning about how the word became flesh, how Jesus came down as a child, as a baby on Christmas morning uh, to save us from our sins. So uh, today is the, the first week of Advent as we jump into to John chapter one, verse one. Now we live in a, uh, a very pragmatic world. I don't know if you've noticed that. Uh, we don't really care about what a, a thing is or truths about a thing so much as we care about if it's useful to us or not, or if it's successful or if it can help me. Uh, for instance, in my pocket here, I have my phone. Uh, I have been using phones for decades now, and uh, I have no idea how it works. No clue. It's a little magical black box of sorcery, and something happens in there, uh, and I, I know how to use it, right? I can communicate with people through it. I can find answers I'm looking for on it. When I get angry, I know how to throw it across the room. All those things, I know how to use this, but I don't have any clue what it is or how it works, and that's okay. I don't care to find out, so don't find me after the service and tell me. I don't want to know. Um, it's okay to feel that way about stuff, about things. I don't know what it is. I just, what, how is it useful to me? It's not okay to feel that way about people you love. It'd be a really bad idea to walk up to someone you love and say, hey, you know, I'm not really concerned about who you are or what you're like. I just want to know how you're useful to me. Um, I want to know what to expect from you, what you expect from me. Uh, this relationship entirely utilitarian. I just want to like, how is this useful? That'd be a terrible idea. Do not do that, right? With, with people that we love, with things that we love, we actually enjoy knowing what they're like, knowing who they are, just admiring them for who they are and what they're like. Uh, this past year, my boys got into Pokemon. And so they, they like learning about them, uh, playing the games, watching the show, all those things. And they would get these books from the library that has all these little critters listed out in it. And it tells you uh, what they're like, how, how strong they are, little pictures of them and all those things. And they love to look at those books, books and just read and go, wow, cool. Just admiring who they are. It's not useful to them at all. They're just, they like it. Uh, I know there's some guys in our church that are like car show guys. They like to go to the car show and check out different cars. If you go to a car show, there's a big old truck with its hood popped open. And you do a little thing where you walk over and stare at the engine. You just go, wow, cool. You will never own that truck. You will never drive that truck. But you are excited that you get to witness it. And just knowing that it exists is cool. Um, a lot of us will do this with, with someone we love. We'll have a picture of them maybe a photo on our phone or something. And sometimes we just catch ourselves just looking at it, just looking at the person that we love and saying, I, I love this person. I, I, you're looking at their eyes and their smile. You imagine what their, their voice is like, hearing them talk, the things they do. And it just, it brings you joy just to look at them. 
Uh, but for some reason, when we come to Jesus and someone tries to tell you, hey, this is what Jesus is like. This is who Jesus is. A lot of us jump forward and say, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, doctrine, all those things, blah, blah, blah. They're important. But what can Jesus do for me? And we don't want to just admire him and enjoy them. We want to say, hey, how, how are you helpful to me, Jesus? That's the thing I'm really interested in. And, and that's a bad way to interact with someone that you love. So this morning, we're going to be looking at John 1, verses 1 through 5. And I hope we can just take the picture of Jesus in our hand, look at him, admire him, worship him for who he is, and dare I say on a Thanksgiving weekend, be thankful for who Jesus is without always saying, what's in it for me? So uh, read with me. I'm going to read in John chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. This morning, I want to tell you uh, two truths about who Jesus is and what he's like from this text, and then we'll close off telling you why does that matter? What difference does it make? So the first thing we see about Jesus in this text is that Jesus is God, the creator. Jesus is God, the creator. Our, our text opens with some very famous words, in the beginning. Now, there are a handful of verses that people who aren't even Christians or who never read their Bible are familiar with, and they know, oh, that's a, that's a verse from the Bible, isn't it? Uh, one of those verses is Genesis 1-1, the very first verse of the entire Bible, and it says, as I'm sure all of you are aware, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It's a very famous verse. People hear that and they know, oh, I know that's from from the Bible. Uh, if any of you have a copy of the Hebrew Bible called the Tanakh, first, I'd be very impressed. You are super cool because you have a copy of it. But secondly, uh, you may notice that they don't have fancy names for, for their books of the Bible like we do. We have Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, stuff like that. Uh, they would just name the book after the first words that appear in the book. And so instead of calling it the book of Genesis, they call it Bereshit, which is just in the beginning. That's the name of the whole book, in the beginning. And so when John opens his, uh, his gospel with those words, in the beginning, everybody hears it and knows what he's talking about. He's talking about the beginning of all of time, not just the beginning of someone's day, the beginning of a certain person's life, or the beginning of the story that I'm about to tell you. No, he says, in the beginning, and everyone knows, oh, he's talking about the very beginning of all of time. Now, if you remember that verse, Genesis 1-1, who's there in the beginning of all of time? In the beginning, God. God's the one who's there. And it seems like he's the only person that exists at the time of, of creation. But John introduces us to someone new. He says, in the beginning was the word. Interesting. So instead of God, there's the word. Is there, there's Maybe both of them there. What does it mean? And he says, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God. Oh, so there's two people at the beginning. There's God and there's the word. That's interesting. I didn't know that. Uh, thanks for teaching us something new, John. Uh, and then he finishes the verse by saying something that just completely blows everyone's mind. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God and the word 
was God. All right, so that's, what do you mean, John? Uh, I often tell people who are new Christians or young believers uh, to read the book of John. If you don't know where, if you have no idea, kids, you included, where to start reading in your Bible, and it's kind of overwhelming, start in the book of John. It's fantastic. But even in starting with that book of the Bible, John, uh, the very first verse, he starts to say things that get our heads spinning a little bit. The words with God and the word is God. Uh, He's referring to something that we as Christians call uh, the Trinity. The Trinity is a word uh, that we use to describe who God is, how he presents himself to us, that God is the Father, God is the Son, God is the Holy Spirit. Oh, so there's three gods? No, there's not three gods. There's only one God. So the Father is the Son, the Son is the Spirit. No, 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 the Father's not the Son, the Son's not the Spirit, the Spirit's not the Father, but all of them are one God, each of them fully God, not part of God. You go, that's, I don't understand. It's okay. It's difficult. It's confusing. But it's the way that we understand the things that John is saying in this book, how, how Jesus can be both with God and be God at the same exact time. And I, for one, am actually thankful that there's aspects of God that I don't entirely understand. Uh, it's good to know that a being who exists in infinite wisdom is outside my ability to comprehend. It means I'm not smarter than him, which I tend to sometimes think that I am. So I'm I'm thankful for things like the Trinity, even though they are difficult to understand, but it describes who God is. And that's the word we have for verses like this, talking about how Jesus is God and with God at the same time. Now, John is doing something unique here in his telling of the Gospels. Uh, If you read the other ones, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they start the story with Jesus coming into the world the same way every other human does. He's born, he's a baby, he grows up, he starts to do a a ministry, his work for God. And as the story progresses throughout the gospel, he starts to say things, he starts to do things and act in certain ways. You're like, there's something different about this man. And by the end of the story, you realize, oh, he's not just a man. This man is God. Matthew, Mark, and Luke tell the story of Jesus from the ground up. John flips that over, and in the very first verse, he says, so Jesus is God, and I'm going to tell you how God interacted with us as a person. He tells the gospel from heaven down. He does it the opposite direction. And just to make sure we know that he's talking about the one and only God of the universe, he adds verse 3 for us. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Remember Genesis 1, where God creates everything? Jesus was the one creating everything. He is the God, not a God, not someone kind of like God. He's, the, he's God. He's the one and only God. Now, let me address uh, a very popular misconception with you all. Uh, if Jesus created every single thing that's ever been created, could Jesus himself have been created? No. No. He can't, unless he created himself, that doesn't even make any sense. It says very clearly, every single thing that's ever been created was created by Jesus. Jesus, therefore, cannot be created. And yet, there are many people today that believe Jesus is just another created being. He's maybe better than others. He's a great created being, but he's just created being. The Jehovah's Witnesses teach this very explicitly. 
It's part of Mormon doctrine that Jesus had a beginning and he was created. There are oneness Pentecostals and Unitarians that believe this. And according to a survey that was done just last year, 60 to 70% of evangelical Christians, among whom we would identify ourselves, believe that Jesus was a created being. John wants to assure us he is not. He has always existed. He was in the beginning. All created things were created by him. He is not among the created. He doesn't get created. He creates things. He doesn't receive life. He's the one who, who gives life. If Jesus was a created being, regardless of how powerful or strong uh, that created might, being might be, he's infinitely less than God. He becomes more like, like Zeus, someone who's stronger than us and, and better than us, but not perfect and infinite. He becomes uh, maybe a good representation of God, but not an exact representation of God. He, he becomes someone who can give us some good things and, and help us out with stuff, but he isn't the source of all good things. And yet because uncreated Jesus is the infinite God of the universe, he is the source of all good things, which is what John's going to talk about next in verse four. Jesus is God the creator, and also Jesus is the light of life. Verse four says, in him was life and the life was the light of men. Now, what connection do life and light have with one another? Uh, It might not be uh, apparent to us or obvious to us when we first read it, life and light. I mean, like a puppy has life light bulbs give light. Uh, what do what the two things really have to do with each other? But I think to John's original audience, uh, they would have made the, the, the connection very clearly and quickly. It would have been intuitive to them. The sun, the sun in the sky, right? It gives light and the places that its light lands then have life. Without the sun giving light, things die. That's how you know that God loves the city of Phoenix so much. He sends so much light here. It's bright all the time. Where are my friends who are from the Pacific Northwest, right? Oregon, Washington. I'm sorry you lived so long without meeting the sun. Here it is. It's the sun. I moved here from the Midwest. I feel, I feel your pain. Um, and, and things that don't receive the light of the sun, they die. Things like plants, things like happiness dies without sunlight. Uh, I don't know if you know, they make these little little lights, little lamps that you can have in your home if you live somewhere that's dark and doesn't get a lot of sunlight. And it's a little lamp that's bright and it's meant to imitate the sun's brightness. And they're called happy lights. And my family may or may not have owned one when we lived in Ohio uh, because the sun brings light and with its light comes life. But in our verse, we see that in a similar way to the, the sun being a source of light and life, Jesus is a source of light and life. If, if there is life somewhere, if things are living, it's because Jesus is the one who brought. If, if there's light, things are revealed, it's clear, it's because Jesus is the one who brought it. Light and life are an incredible theme throughout the book of John. Uh, John mentions the word life 36 times, which is twice as often as all the other gospels combined. He mentions uh, the word light more 
than all the other gospels combined. Life and light are a theme in his book. Even on Jesus's own lips, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. And a second time he says, I am the light of life. If you're familiar with the I am statements in John, there are famous statements that Jesus said. Uh, Listen to some of them. He says, I am the bread of life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. Jesus' own identity of himself, the way he discloses himself, is I am light and I am life. But why those two? What's he doing? Why, Why light and life specifically? Let's go back to Genesis 1. We're doing a lot of of connections there with the book of of Genesis chapter 1. And you remember, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Well, the very next verse says something about the earth. It says, the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. It's empty, it's lifeless, and it's dark. Then God, through his word, says, let there be light. And light shines into creation. And that launches forth the whole creation story of how everything comes into being. And the rest of the chapter of Genesis 1 is God filling this creation with life. The light shined and then life immediately followed. There's plants, there's trees, there's fish and birds, little bunny rabbits and giant dinosaurs, and ultimately there's human beings. Life followed light. And God, through Jesus, creates physical life and physical light where there was physical death and physical darkness. But as usual, God uses physical realities to point us to spiritual truths. Uh, listen how, how John talks about light and life later on in, in John chapter 3. I'm going to read to you verses 19 through 21. He says, The light has come into the world, talking about Jesus again, and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out by God. There is a a spiritual aspect to light and life. That Jesus came to eradicate darkness, which he associates with evil, with wickedness. this This is a second in the beginning. And whereas the first in the beginning, light showed up and eradicated death and darkness that were physical. In this second in the beginning, a new light shows up who's going to eradicate a death and darkness that are deeper, that are spiritual. He's come to eradicate wickedness. Now, I don't, I don't have to convince you all that we live in a world filled with spiritual death and spiritual darkness. I think you can get in your car drive down the street and look out the window and see it for yourself. Uh, Buildings that were once alive and thriving are now broken down, dilapidated, and and destroyed. People who who were once beautiful baby children loved by mother and father have now been abandoned and forgotten, cast aside. We see people who are who are wicked, who are succeeding, and the righteous seem to be punished. 
There's corrupt political parties. The, the standard of, of sexual morality is actually something we're supposed to aspire to and supposed to be normal and everyone should seek after. We live in a world that's very clearly spiritually dead and spiritually dark. But the darkness actually isn't just outside of us. I think we recognize that there's spiritual death and spiritual darkness in our own hearts. I can tell you personally that I prefer sometimes to hide in the darkness so that people don't know who I actually am. So I don't have to admit my sinfulness. I don't have to be changed. I'd, I'd rather be my own master of my life. And I think all of us are drawn to that, to, to run from the light, to hide back in spiritual darkness where we're in charge. We don't have to, to obey a different authority outside of us. We don't have to be accountable for the things we've done. We've done. We don't have to humble ourselves by, by confessing sin. We'd rather be back here in the dark. Spiritual darkness is not just outside of us, but there's spiritual darkness that's inside of us as well. And that's why who Jesus is and what he's like actually matters and makes a difference. And so Jesus is the creator. He's God, the creator. Jesus is, is light and life, the source of all light and life. Well, why does that matter? What difference does that make? Because Jesus is the one who can save you from death and darkness. Read verse five with me. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. If Jesus is light and life, it means he overcomes darkness and death. The source of it is the one who can conquer both of them. That's what we're doing at Christmas time. That's what we're celebrating at Advent. That light broke into a spiritually dead and dark world and came in to, to conquer the darkness and death. If you're familiar with the story of Jesus, you know that actually there's a point where it seems like death and darkness win. At the end of Jesus's life, he's dying on a cross, and Matthew tells us that the land is covered in darkness for hours. And then Jesus dies, and his body is taken off the cross, and it's put in a tomb. And a big stone is rolled in front of the tomb as if to seal the death and darkness inside. But if, if you're the source of life and the source of light, there's no death and darkness that overpowers you. You are the one who overpowers them. And so three days later, the stone is rolled back away and light bursts out from the tomb. Jesus is alive again. Uh, I don't know if you remember last month, we had a, a partial solar eclipse here in, in Phoenix. It was pretty cool. I think we had about 80% coverage of, of the sun by the moon or something like that. And uh, I can't help but imagine this being similar to the, the stone rolled in front of the tomb. Like the moon's trying its best to block out the sun. Good luck, moon. Because uh, every single time the moon loses, right? Hey, it's dark. Oh no. And then the moon moves out of the way and the sun comes blindingly back in and you're like, well, I forgot how bright that was. It was gone for 10 seconds. And that is surprising. Uh, the moon can't cover the sun. The sun is the source of light and life. It always loses. And, and similarly, the stone in front of the tomb, it tries its best. It tries its best to cover the source of light and life, but it loses. The stone gets rolled away and light bursts out again. Now you might be thinking to yourself, what a cute story, Shane. How cute. The eclipse is kind of like the stone in front of the tomb. That's, that's neat. But I can tell you that in my life, I don't feel like Jesus has conquered death and darkness. 
Rather, I, I feel paralyzed by anxiety and stress. And I don't know how I'm going to make it through today, let alone this, this Christmas season. Uh, you're, you're fearful of, of the future. You, you feel like death is actually winning in my body as, as disease is hurting me and attacking me. And, and darkness seems to cloud how I don't know what to do, where to go, how to act. It doesn't seem like death and darkness have been defeated. Well, I mentioned to you that the book of John, uh, light and life are a huge theme. And I want to read another passage to you in John chapter 12. Uh, If you remember that John 5, we just read, it says, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Jesus was not overcome by darkness. John only uses that word overcome or the Greek word that it comes from. He only uses it one more time in the whole book of John. And he's going, to re- he's going to use it here in our passage. And this time it's translated as the word overtake. I want you to listen to it for it as I read these, these two verses. John 12, 35. So Jesus said to them, the light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he's going. While you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of light. You see, the darkness failed to overtake Jesus. And now the darkness is seeking a different victim. It's trying to overtake you. The darkness wants you to isolate. The darkness wants to draw you away from that life-giving light. The darkness wants you to hide to not come forward and have an authority over you, to not come forward and have responsibility given to you by God, to to not tell people what you're genuinely like, but rather to retreat. The darkness wants you to hide, be in a corner, hidden, where you will ultimately die. The darkness wasn't able to overcome Jesus, but now it seeks to overtake you. But there's a solution the solution is coming to the light. The solution is being honest about who you are and your struggle and coming to to Jesus, to to the family that is associated with Jesus, to God's people and and saying, this is who I am and confessing it and say, I don't want to hide. I don't want to run from responsibility. I don't want to pretend I'm something that I'm not and hide in the darkness because that's where death is. There's life in the light, and Jesus is inviting you to come to it. I hope you also hear the sense of urgency in Jesus' words. He says, the light is among you for a little while longer. While you have the light, walk in the light. This opportunity won't be available to you forever. Take it. Take it while the chance is still offered to come to the light. In the beginning, darkness and death were reigning, but then the light broke through the darkness and brought life. Light changed the course of the entire world, and that light is the only means of defeating darkness in you. Turn and walk toward it and come out of hiding. Let me pray. Father, we're thankful that death and darkness aren't things to be feared anymore, but they're things that you've conquered. Lord, we're thankful that uh, you 
are the God of the universe, not someone lesser, but the perfect, complete creator of all things. God, you are the source of light and life. They do not conquer you. And so we want to be with you. We want to receive life. We want to be in the light. God, it can be painful. It can be difficult. But you've been changing lives for thousands of years. And we know that you can change ours even today, Lord. We're thankful that you conquered the grave, uh, being the first to conquer death and life so that we can then follow after you. Lord, we're going to take communion in a moment, remembering uh, who you are, that, that death could not hold you and darkness could not defeat you, that you took the penalty that we deserved, Lord. Help us to recognize the light you offer. Help us to recognize that we don't have to run. We love you, Father. Because of Jesus Christ, we can pray this morning. Amen. Amen.